<laughs> well, that was so funny. You know, they'd be real stiff walking around with these nice suits on and everything. After a couple of drinks, man, you'd see them play Rocky Top, man. <laughs> you know? So it was cool, man. I said, yeah, we got them now. Yeah. So, <laughs> Greetings, everybody. It's Keith Billick here with another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. This one is coming in a day or two later than I wanted because of all the holiday, you know, shenanigans that end up happening and uh, derailing schedules. But uh, this episode does feature a legendary guest who I promise will be worth that wait. And, uh, you know, speaking of all the holidays, I do hope that you and your family, friends, loved ones are having a safe and happy holiday season. Uh, You know, happy holidays from the Picky Fingers podcast is what I'm getting at. And I have good news. If, If you're having a great holiday season, but there just hasn't been enough people gathered to talk about banjos with, I am spreading my own brand of holiday cheer. And that is going to be tomorrow, December 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern. There will be one of our monthly VIP lounge video meetups with myself and your fellow listeners. However, typically this is only reserved for Patreon subscribers, but uh, with the festive season upon us, this is going to be open to everybody. So if you are hearing this before December 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern, head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. There will be a Google Meet link Uh, posted there and you can join that video meetup and hang out with us and talk banjos and uh, we'll see what happens. It's always a great time. I'll also be posting that on uh, Facebook and stuff so um, chances are if you follow me you'll you'll get to see that but uh, yeah hope to see you all there. Now speaking of that Patreon site that is also how you become a subscriber to the podcast and support the show making sure I can keep bringing these episodes to you with these cool interviews with great players. And folks, becoming a subscriber is only a few dollars a month. Check it out. And I always take the time to recognize some specific supporters of the show. And for this episode, we have two longtime supporters who recently upgraded their support level to, uh, you know, get the official episode shout out. But make no mistake, these guys have been with me a long time, and I'm talking about Brent Davis and Joshua Agkison. So, Brent and Joshua, thank you so much for your continued generosity, and uh, on behalf of all the listeners, thank you, because you are making this show possible for everyone, and I couldn't do it without you. So, Brent and Josh, thanks again. Everyone else, please go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. That's how you sign up to support the show or at least get that free meeting link to join us tomorrow for the VIP lounge. If Patreon isn't your thing, you know the usual podcast things to do. You do the rate, review, subscribe, like, share, you know, all all those algorithmic buttons that, that your platform provides you. Please do those. Or if all else fails, get a hold of me at PickyFingersBanjoPodcast at gmail.com or order some swag, BanjoPodcast.com and check out the world-famous Picky Fingers t-shirts and stickers right over there.
Today's featured guest is the Duke of Drive himself, Terry Baucom. Terry has been among the most highly respected and influential banjo players over the last several decades in a professional career that is truly astonishing to look at his resume. He has been a crucial member of such bands as Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver, Third Time Out, Lou Reed and Carolina, and now he fronts his own band called Terry Balcom's Dukes of Drive. So I was thrilled to meet up with Terry at this past year's IBMA conference. So you can uh, you can hear some background noise and you can also hear a bit of uh, a, a few miles on my voice during the interview. It was the, at the end of a long but fun week and it just continued getting to speak with a banjo legend like this episode's special guest. So give a warm picky fingers welcome to Terry Balcom. Where, where are you from? Just outside of Detroit. Is that right? A, t- a town called <clears throat> Ferndale, Michigan. It's mm-hmm. like the next town north of Detroit. You used to have a lot of clubs up there. Charlie Moore and all the old guys used to play. Yeah. A lot of bluegrass, hot bluegrass, and you'd never think that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. A lot of the transplants from down south yeah, came up for exactly. the, the car jobs and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a bit of a scene. And pick a lot on the side, man. Yeah. On the weekends, you uh-huh. know. So, I admire that. That's uh Dana Cup is still up there. I don't know if you know Dana. I know Dana very well. He's yeah. a good player and a really good person. Yeah, he I, sure is. I'll tell I, him you said I hi. I think a lot of him. I sure do. Yeah, he's great. He's still kicking around. I, I run into him now and then. And yeah, he played with Monroe forever, man. You got right. where you'd see him. Monroe would be with him or, or he would be with Monroe, you know. They just hung out a lot, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which is a, that's a great thing to do is hang out with Big Mun, you know. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of the history <laughs> yeah. up here, not to mention Osborne Brothers, too. Yeah, like Cincinnati was another hotbed, you know. Mm-hmm. Just Harley Allen and Red Allen, all of them. Man, they had killer bands. Yeah, it's not all just North Carolina. I, I know you're proud of being from here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that goes to say, you know, yeah, we are known for that as far as, you know, playing the music a certain way and... Everybody went to Scruggs style, you know, is mm-hmm. why he was so popular, man. He was yeah. so good. Plus, he seemed like he must have sat around and played all the time. You right. Know? Some people you can just tell, right? Yeah, you can tell. And I'm not one that just sits around <laughs> and plays all the time, you know. Yeah. If I'm working on a break or something, a kick, yeah, I will work hard on it. Mm-hmm. And I work hard otherwise, but take a break, man. Yeah, <laughs> some was, people are obsessed with it. Well, uh, let's back up and just tell listeners how it all started for you just uh i guess introduce yourself say where who you are where you're from and and how you became a banjo player in the first place all right my name is terry balcom i'm from north carolina monroe to be exact and uh i play the five string banjo and i love bluegrass music that's what i've done all my life and it's what i'm still doing and I think that I will continue doing it as long as I can do it at a good, you know, a good, where you play it really good. Yeah, know? we all hope so, too. So, cool. you know. How did you how did you come to play this instrument? Do you have any early memories of the first time you heard it or wanting to yeah, I, start playing? I was watching uh, Beverly Hillbillies. It's real oh, hot yeah. TV in 1962, yeah. man. And 
I heard it. I come walking through the house and I heard it and it sounded like a machine gun, man. Huh. It's like, bah, bah, bah. you know, and I said, I want to do that. That looks like fun. You How know? old were you at this point? I was 10 years old. All right. And I told my dad, I said, I really do want to get a banjo for Christmas. Mm -hmm. He said, we'll see what we can do then. Now, and were it, they into music or were they musicians at all, your folks? Yeah, dad picked. We had a okay. we had a band and, you know, picked around. Yeah. Few few uh fiddle contests, you know, that kind of fiddler's convention, so and and at that time bluegrass was kind of at a lull. It wasn't doing all that much, you know, like it is now by any means, you know. And uh we we went and looked and it you we could not find a decent five string banjo, you know. There's all tenor banjos, old stuff, you know. Oh wow. So so we kept looking and kept looking, and we finally found one. And, you know, at the time, Charlotte was a huge town, you know, and yeah. they had all kind of pawn stores and everything, but they didn't have any five-string banjo. Right. So we found a K open back five-string banjo, and that's how it started for me. All right. Yeah, yeah. How did you start learning, or was there a point where you got to start playing with people yeah my dad played guitar and he knew enough just to get us both in trouble you know yeah. what i'm saying he yeah. was a guitar player and you know you everybody can pick up the banjo and do a little run here and there but you know beside the point and once i got it i i thought i was doing really really good and my dad's cousin his name was bill simpson and he worked mm -hmm. at at one time with monroe like played the whole summer okay and uh you know, he said, your role is all wrong. I was doing, I don't know, but it wasn't it. So it wasn't hmm. that. And he showed me that, and he said, you practice that day and night for a week, man, and don't do nothing but that. <laughs> I said, okay, this is important now. It's, you got to do this, yeah. you know, so. And once I got that role and started playing it into, like, nine-pound hammer... You know how mm -hmm. that goes. I keep hitting that. Oh. So once I got that roll down and started applying it to different songs and everything, and I got it down where I could do it at any speed, of course, speed is, you don't even need to talk about that when you first start playing. Right. Why would you talk? Because you don't know anything about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Yeah, something I've told beginning students before is it's, it seems obvious to us, but beginners don't realize that it's better to play slow with good timing than to Absolutely. play fast with yes. poor timing. That Absolutely. Make that's, you that's very good advice, it. sir. Yeah, yeah, sure is. So, like I say, once I got hooked up with the right role and everything and started playing, man, it's like somebody flipped the switch, like night and day, man. I said, yeah, I'm beginning to figure this out now. Yeah. You know, I started working on all kind of different things and... Uh, the more I learned, the, the hungrier I got for it, you know. Yeah. Then I become one of those guys that sat around and play all the time, you know. Yeah. My mother used to come in the living room where I'd be in there play, jamming. She said, could you take that outside? <laughs> I said, sure I can. Driving everyone nuts. Yeah, so I would go outside and play in the swing and stuff. And, and Dad was real supportive. He he said, you're, you're becoming a, to be able to play some songs and play them right. He said, well, he said, I got a guy that I work with. He's got a couple Gibson. So he come, he brought the two banjos down one day after work. And uh, 
One of them was RB100, you mm -hmm. know, no tone ring, you yeah. know, pretty banjo. And he had a, a 250. Okay. And, uh, was that like a bow tie model at the time? The bow tie, yeah, well, yeah. It, it, uh, it looked like a bow tie. It had the bow tie peg head. Well, I guess it was a bow tie. You know, I didn't think about it. The, the 250, it was a bow tie. That's, yeah. that's where it goes, because I knew at one point that I was, if I got that one, I'd be playing a bow tie. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a few of them around. You can go to big fiddler's conventions and see them, buy them cheap all day long, you know. Right. But anyway, Dad said, you, you choose the one you want. And I said, well, I'd just soon have this RB100 because it was lighter, you know. Yeah. The tone ring was it wasn't wood. something you were worried about at the time, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, I got the, the uh, Gibson RB100 and another light switch, man. It was like, wow, like getting out of a that's really a big bad, yeah, yeah, like a bad car to a super car. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's like, man, I love this. And then I went back to that guy that plays all the time. Uh -huh. Then when I was about 14 years old, I got the bug to, I need to be playing fiddle, you know. Mm -hmm. I want to play fiddle for a while. And uh, my dad's band, it was me and him and uh, Vance Haithcock. And he was really a good old-time fiddle player. He wasn't a, a real hardcore, but he played and played very well. Yeah. So I'd be sitting there playing the banjo, watching him play the fiddle you know yeah so then i i got that's me a good fiddle. education it is yeah. and then my dad i told dad i said i need a fiddle now he said okay well i love him man i got rested so i love him because he he was so supportive and that is important you know if somebody throws off on a kid say, you can't play that yeah he can man right you know he might not be as good as he wants at that moment but you know it is yeah so if, you know if, Moving along on that, I started playing the fiddle and jerky and sound like wild birds <laughs> and stuff like that, you know. So, and then I began to learn that stuff, you know. So I put the banjo back for a while, for about, actually for about three or four years. Hmm. Do you think learning the fiddle impacted how you play the banjo? To some degree, yes, I do. What do you, uh, how would you describe the, what you think you've, gained as a player from having played the fiddle that you maybe wouldn't have it would, gotten? I tell you, it probably would, uh, let's say I, I left the banjo for a while, about three or four years, and uh, my dad was really supportive of that. And, you know, your question, it, it showed me how to play more of the melody, you know, hmm. you know, because on fiddle, you know, on anything that's really. a job yeah. yeah it's a job you got to play it if they don't know what it is it's doing no one any good you know right. and then i went to work with charlie moore and, and i that's my first pro gig you know traveling and playing everywhere and uh man i love it too it's fun there's nothing as quiet as a night with no music or as dark as a night with no stars Nothing as lonesome as a cold, lonely room Just wondering all night where you are 
music was playing. And then it was all just that that's when the door busted wide open when you yeah, started uh, being able to like travel yeah. a little bit. And, oh yeah, that really yeah. got a hold of me. You oh, know, that's cool. So, so let's uh, let's go back to what you said about the fiddle teaching you to play the melody better. Are you are you able to demonstrate kind of the essence of what you're you're talking about about how to bring out the melody really well in a well, in a like, banjo kickoff or yeah, a solo? Like, like uh like take gold rush. It's more or less it just kind of plays itself, you know. You, yeah. Once you get it in in a certain groove, you know, and uh, so I would I would say that helped me quite a bit because if you never played fiddle, you don't know, you know what you like it, but you don't know how to play it. You sure. Know? So I was, was at that standstill for a while. Yeah. And after that, I went to work with Boone Creek with Ricky and. Uh, mm -hmm. Jerry and uh, Wes Golden and myself, Steve Bryant, and uh, then the, that was just a whole new beginning, man. I mean, it's like, wow, this is something here. Tell me about the philosophy of that band, because at the time, you know, this is a little before I was aware of, of things going on right. in bluegrass music. That was a pretty progressive band at the time. It, yeah, it was. And you, you guys so were what? doing a lot of uh, taking different directions yeah, that I maybe mean, the music hadn't gone before. Talk about the philosophy of that band and well, how you guys decided to approach that. Well, you know, I'd been playing fiddle with Charlie and Keith, Whitley and Ricky was, you know, they they were already playing because Skaggs was playing with the Crow doing mm -hmm. the 0044 album right. and stuff. We didn't really have any big philosophy thing, you know. It was just like uh, this play, you know, and we'd do hard, dry bluegrass. We'd do waited around in the country music some, you know, yeah. which is all that's good for you, man, you know, and... Uh, it was it was quite a quite a good time at, at that time. But anyway, Keith and Ricky were playing with Ralph, and yeah. I was playing with Charlie. Mm -hmm. So we'd play the fire halls and stuff. Had raised money for the fire trucks and all this stuff, you know, fire things, you know. And that that usually would be like on a Sunday. Okay. So I'd hang out with those guys all the time. There'd be like two or three bands, and uh, you know, and people loved it up there. They Love the kind of music we were doing, and we didn't really know or really think about 
or is they are the people going to like this or not? You know, okay. we we just played what we wanted to, and we'd even do some old Bob Wells stuff, you know. Yeah, the and swings. Me, so. me and Skaggs would play fiddles, you know. We'd done some twin fiddle work stuff. Would just give us another avenue to say, hey, this is good. Let's do some more of this, you know. Yeah. And uh, we did, and we really loved it, and we cut two two uh, albums. And uh, yeah, those are great recordings. Even even today, they hold up. They're really exciting they do, to listen you know? to. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people has told me that. Said, man, that's that stands the test right yeah. there. You know, which made us say, wow, that's very cool. You know, and you know, I, I was loving doing that. And Skaggs got a call from Emmy Lou, so he said, boy, do I take this? It's, you know. It's just good paying and everything. I said, man, do it. Hey, yeah. Don't worry about us. I'll find something. I always have. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was without a band. I'll go from a super band to no band. Uh huh. You know, that was a little heartbreaking, so if you would call it that. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. You're chuck, trucking along and, yeah, yeah just. Everything's beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, and. So. Just stops overnight. Yeah. Yeah, stops. Folks, we are in a golden age of online instrument instruction, and at the top of that world is Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation has streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, so you can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots Music. Check out the courses they have and this is just for banjo you could get beginning or bluegrass banjo with bill evans Clawhammer banjo with evie laden wade ward style banjo with bruce molsky the banjo according to danny barnes and contemporary bluegrass banjo with wes corbett each of those courses include high quality video lessons downloadable notation and tab play along tracks and plenty of tunes and songs to play and the best thing yet is you're going to get your first month free just by being a listener of this show. So go to pegheadnation.com and use promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout and claim your free month of the best instruction out there. And if you find yourself needing a banjo or accessories to get ready for those Peghead Nation courses, I highly recommend you check out Elderly Instruments, which is the world's most trusted source of new used and vintage stringed instruments, including banjos, guitars, violins, mandolins, ukuleles, all that stuff. They're going to have the best instruments you can find anywhere. And we're talking everything from the more affordable instruments for people starting out on up through the most highly sought after vintage instruments. Elderly Instruments has been family owned since 1972. And if you can't make it to their Lansing, Michigan showroom, you can see their full selection at elderly.com or give them a call at 517-372-7880 for some professional advice on all of your banjo and other stringed instrument needs. And you know what all these stringed instruments have in common? They all sound better with GHS Strings. GHS Strings is another sponsor of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, and I'm proud to say they have been made in Battle Creek, Michigan since 1974. And if you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll believe such people as J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, and Bela Fleck, just a few of the many, many users of GHS Strings. So go check them out, ghsstrings.com. 
They have a wide selection of gauged sets so that no matter what you're looking for, you'll be able to find something there. So what was the next opportunity you had after that? Well, I moved back to Charlotte, which I'm from Monroe, which is a little bit east of Charlotte. So I moved back there and just kind of done some teaching and just whatever you could do. And at that time, corporate center, you know, they had some huge banks there and they had a lot of uh, corporate parties and banquets and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I got where I was doing that, and I was playing most of the time, four or five nights a week, banjo or fiddle, you know, whichever one they needed. And was that just like a pickup band that you would put yeah, together for the gig? Yeah, the okay. guys older than me, and, you know, they were good, but they didn't really play the North Carolina get-in-your-face style, you yeah. know. So I just played with them. I didn't really... I don't, we never recorded anything or anything like that. But right, right. We'd kept play, you busy, though. Yeah, yeah, it kept me busy and playing music. As long as you're doing that, you, you're in pretty good shape, man. Yeah, yeah. As far as uh, getting along, you know. And by playing the fiddle, too, it's doubled your chances of, yeah, I can do the fiddle or the banjo, which one you want. Or rhythm guitar. If, if and that's pretty unusual for a banjo player to double on fiddle. You see a lot of mandolin is. players do yeah, it for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They do. and well, That's pretty rare. It is rare. But it gives you that avenue that you hadn't used before, you know. So, so as long as I'm learning and enjoying playing, then I'll do it, you know. Was that difficult to keep your skills up to snuff on both instruments banjo suffered more than the fiddle did it because i was kind of really into that and i'd been playing you know min skaggs uh he cut an album uh that's it was the title of it and his he used his dad and mom as good singers and stuff mm. so you know keith he died way too early you know but that's the way it goes and you know, you can be around people like that and just hear them sing how cool. Yeah. You know, they just do little turns and little pulls and say, and it's say, wow, <laughs> you know, yeah. really gets to you. And then you start really working on that stuff, you know. And Yeah, Keith Whitley is the master of that, yeah. He really was, and Skaggs, man, that, sure. he, he was too. And he, he was at a point, he was young, all of us young, and he could sing tenor high as he wanted to. Right. If I want to put it on the moon, that's where we're going, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. But then you ask, what did I do after that is uh, Doyle. Right. And how did you get that opportunity? Well, he uh, he had produced an album for uh, Southbound. Mm -hmm. And I think they cut two different ones, and he was producing that for them. So he got to hearing Lou Reed sing, man. He sang like a bird anyway. And uh, he also, uh, Lou also played fiddle we played some triple fiddles on that but oh wow but how i got the band is he talked to jimmy haley and said would you be inter interested in starting a band and, and uh jimmy said yeah i'd love it man so lou reed said i'm in and they said who are we gonna use on banjo so i got the, i got the banjo gig and that was like a whole new world on the other side you know because we just played, 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 man. I've never worked so hard on music in my life. We we done it like a job, 
Uh, you get up and you start. You start playing at 10 in the morning. And you'd usually go to about 6 o'clock for dinner. Mm-hmm. And then you'd get a couple more hours in after that. Wow, yeah. So, I mean, you sitting around playing all the time. Yeah, I that's mean, intense. And not just one of us, it's all four of us, you know. And he, Dole, really wanted a strong quartet, so I sang bass. Charlie had kind of taught me to sing bass because they were doing a lot of quartet. So, you know, you be you hang around with people that can play and sing, you know, it just rubs off on you, you know what I mean? And, Those corporate jobs, man, it, it, they were so funny. You know, they'd be real stiff walking around with these nice suits on and everything. Uh-huh. After a couple of drinks, man, you'd see them play Rocky Top, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was cool, man. I said, yeah, we got them now. Yeah, so. all right. Yeah, you sound a lot better at that point, too. Yes. Um, was there a time in here that you started to notice that you had a unique style that maybe was different from some of the players you'd been listening to? Well, I think it it come about uh, well, the band playing with Dole, you know, because we spent so much time together and it just absolutely was smooth as you could get it. I mean, mm-hmm. we couldn't get it any better, so move on to the next whatever we yeah. want to do, you know, and I think that really helped us to be, to control ourselves without going out on a limb and can't get back, man. That's a bad feeling there. Now, what do you mean by that? Just not taking musical chances? Kind of Big thing? ones, you know. Yeah. And, you know, you maybe been working on a few different things or a melody to the song, and uh, mm-hmm. it you, that's not right. It don't sound right. So you'd go back in. And, you know, sometimes I was, Dole's a good banjo player, too. A lot of right. people don't know that, but he plays yeah. very well. And uh, I said, man, give me an ideal here. I'm stuck. You know, and he said, let me see you, Banjo. So he would help me out. Or Jimmy, if wow. Jimmy's having a hard time, he was a good teacher because he got it from Jimmy Martin, okay. which he is a nut, but, you know, a good nut. And he yeah. he, he could play and sing, you know. Yeah. Otherwise, Crow wouldn't be around, you know. Sure. He, and a lot of the other oh, banjo yeah. players that we look up to, yeah. Yeah, and J.D. told me one time, he said, I played all the time when I was a kid because... We didn't have anything else to do, (laughs) which made him such a better player than he would have been, you know. But uh, Was there anything that you worked on when you were playing all those hours in a day that you think, 
uh, was unique to your playing style? It taught me to play melody mm-hmm. better than what I was doing. You know, I could play, but the melody would somehow get lost in the song, you know, mm-hmm. which, which is not a good thing to do. Was there a specific way that you worked to improve at, at that? Well, we would, uh, like on some days, we'd just do gospel quartets for like the first half of the day. Yeah. Know, stuff like that. And, you know, you're around people that can play, so you want to play better. So everybody was there saying, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this. I'm gonna, you get yours, I got mine, you know, that kind of thing. And we would do this singing thing, man. We live in an old farmhouse, and there's like five different bedrooms. The band all lived together in the same house? Well, no, Doyle lived right up the road, and he lived in, I can't remember, uh, it's right around Crewe, Virginia, right around in there. Doyle, he was living closer to Charlottesville, and we we would get our instruments, and we'd all start in one room, and then we would start playing, and then you walk, through the house <laughs> to the other side and you'd still be singing if it wasn't 100% there you did that all day <laughs> so you know people say well I don't think I could play that much well how good do you want to be then you want to be good or good so you know and uh, you know the more you sing the more ideals you get for your banjo because you get to that one point you say i won't play a hundred percent melody yeah you know so then we were on that kick for a while you know so you wouldn't get lost in the in the music you know you think having to be so connected with the melody as a singer helps you also become connected with it 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 teaches you to back a singer up you know whether Mm -hmm. you just own a banjo or guitar or whatever you know that's uh it's important, it really is. Yeah. If you get lost in it, that's all right. Just get, straighten it out and don't do it again. Yeah. How how do you uh, what do you think about when you when it comes to playing backup, whether it's behind a singer or even other uh, solo instruments? You do something that will enhance his sound. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, like Scruggs hit every once in a while. A fiddle would do a little run or something. He'd kind of do it hit like a tenor part you know real quick you, you have to really be aware of what where you're at in the song yeah but stuff like that you know just three or four notes slide down mm-hmm. it sounded big but it wasn't all that big you know but it it fits the song so yeah. well you know so that's uh that's pretty much how i kind of based it so between working for uh boone creek and then the original Quicksilver, and then eventually you came to work for, uh, you were a founding member of Third Time Out, is that right? That's right. So those are all bands that are, you know, I'm interviewing you because you're a banjo player, but those are bands that have really made a name for themselves because of their vocal skills. So I'll dream till I hear you love Wish I could hold you forever 
So talk about the discipline that all those bands have and how they got to be so good at that. Yeah, you know, Doyle, he would preach, play the melody, man. If they, can't, if they don't know what, if they can't tell you what you just kicked off, then you're not doing it. Mm -hmm. You need to sit down and, you know, work, yeah. on, work on it like you would a singing part. And uh, I do think that's good because once you... Uh, once you get this in your hand, you know, it's it's like, that's hard to do. Melodies, I think, sometimes harder than the fiddle, you know. Yeah. Because I, I can just hear a fiddle backing up a good singer, like Keith, you know. Yeah. Just doing long things, you know, yeah. little double stops, you know. I can hear that sometimes more than I can for the banjo, and I think it's the love of the fiddle. It's just... It's always there, man. Mm -hmm. You can't get rid of it. Yeah, it can do some beautiful things, that's for I sure. I know, man. Yeah. Especially with a really good singer or a good band, man. Yeah, yeah it's a uh, that's happy time then, man, for sure. So at some point, and maybe you have a story about this, why do people call you the, the Duke of Drive? <laughs> who, who came up with that name for you? Uh, John Lawless. Do you know John? I, uh, not personally, but I know exactly who you're talking about. Okay, yeah. and John's a good friend, and we were... Uh, he, he hired me to come to Roanoke and do a, a weekend of uh, workshops. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't mention that or anything. And we got the video done, and he handed me one. And he said, what do you think? I said, I like it. And then I looked up there, and it said, the Duke of <laughs> I said, well, yo, John, what's going on? <laughs> And he said, man, you had to have a title, you know, and you need to be the Duke because you placed hard drive. And I said, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so are you paying him royalties every show you do because he came up with the name? You still owe him money for that? I told him, I said, I need to take you out to dinner about a hundred times for, <laughs> for my, my name, you know. Yeah. So, it was so I mean, of course, the reason that it caught on is because you do play with such great drive. Right. So may, maybe talk about what drive means to you in terms of having good bluegrass banjo drive? I would say that Crow, listening to Crow would probably be how you want to play drive, man, mm -hmm. because he uh, he was just so good at, at hearing a, a song and, or a break he needs to take and, and just play it like he's always been playing it, you know? And this the solid of like old home place, man, right mm -hmm. there, just getting you, you know? And uh, it's hard to separate the fiddle and banjo on drive because are you familiar with a guy that played around North Carolina and his name was Joe Green, Big Joe Green? played the fiddle like I would play the banjo, you know. Uh -huh. He had the most drive I've ever seen. Wow. I mean, once he took off on something like Katie Hill, it was blasting, man, and he yeah. was such a good player. And I kind of said, you know, if I'm going to be playing all this drive and stuff, I need to 
to work on the fiddle and get it more up to the banjo, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. So a lot of people describe drive as being like a little bit ahead of the beat. If the band is playing a certain right. tempo, you're hitting it just, you know, right. fraction of a millisecond yes. ahead. Is that sort of how you hear it also? Yeah, I hear it where you just uh, you start playing, man. You get in a good, comfortable groove and just sit there and, and do it. You know, just mm -hmm. really sit there and do it. And what I was going to say while I go about Ricky and Jerry is some bands would play and it wouldn't be right on top of the beat, so it wouldn't sound like he's playing very much drive, you know. Mm. So you get it out and you really cut loose on it and and sync that way of, of playing together, you know. Then it starts making more sense. And a lot of guys will say, how do you, how do you determine if you're on top of the beat? Mm -hmm. I, sa I said, it's it's hard to tell you, man. I, you know, right. and practice with a metronome. You know, that's a good tool to have. And yeah. if you really learn to use it, man, you, you can do good things with that. For so, sure. And then Skaggs, you know, we, Mark Pruitt was going to be the banjo player but for Boone Creek, but he had a music store that him and his brother had just opened. And he said, I can't really leave my brother like that. So I told Ricky, I said, I, I can play enough fiddle to get us through this until we get one. He said, it'd be good. Because mm -hmm. I knew all the songs and all the arrangements. Yeah. So we've been playing in the Holiday Inn for five nights a week forever, you yeah. know. So uh, we kept playing and kept playing. And I said, what about this banjo player? He said, we don't need him. We got yeah. <laughs> said, all right. So then I had to sit down and really work hard on it then. Right. You know, because I was used to playing another instrument, so... I suppose they didn't pay you twice as much for playing <laughs> no. two of the parts, right? No, it was uh, it wasn't a lot of bucks around. Those <laughs> I, days, I bet man. not. Yeah. So looking back, you've recorded with so many great bands, and you have so many good recordings uh, along with your own solo work right. and, and your mm -hmm. and your other bands. Is there one that you would look to as like a really great example of of your own banjo playing that you're particularly yeah, proud of? I would say that would be. Uh, let me think about that for a second. Never look, never looking back. You and out, you welcome, making tracks across my home. And I know how this story ends before it even starts. So you walk it straight and narrow, but honey, I know you. You'll only come back long enough to make it It's got several kinds of different kinds of things, you know, kind of not chromatic, but a little chromatic lick thrown in here, you know. Yeah, you'd, spice it you up would a mix bit. in some yeah. uh, melodic style yeah. type of yeah. things, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I would think out of the ones that I've done, that one would probably be show you different slow stuff and, you know, just different styles. And, yeah. You know, so... Now, now that we've covered, uh, that's that's a really good thing to bring up. Now that we've covered how to play with drive, how do you approach the slow stuff? Are you th still thinking with 
drive in mind, or how does your mindset change you know, when you play I, that type of stuff? I never did really associate those two, two things together. Right. It's right. a good thing to think about. And if I'm working on something, a break or kick, you know, I will work on it hard, you know. But I guess you could say playing something really slow and you was right there on top of the beat, I, that would be acceptable, you know, so. That's cool. So you just mentioned the recording that you're proud of or, or displays you're, you're playing well. I guess I'll turn it around. Is there Has there ever been anything about your playing that you, you could never, you felt like you could never get quite right or like uh, what bothers you about your own playing? Stuff like Sailor's Hornpipe. You okay. know, Bill Keith stuff, you know. Yeah. And I love Bill Keith, you know. I miss him so much. Uh-huh. Good player. And he could just zip up and down the fingerboard, not even be looking at it, you know. And it's <laughs> yeah. all I can do to even get it started. So that's one I don't ever play. Okay, but like that fiddle tune style that he yeah. had, the melodic style. Exactly, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That is it. <laughs> Let's talk about your instrument here. What's uh, Is this your primary banjo that you perform with? It has been for the last few months. Uh, actually, I'm endorsed with uh, Deering Banjo. Right, you have that signature model. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's a good banjo. I really like it. It's uh, They built me another one. It's uh, mahogany, and the other one is walnut. Mm-hmm. And that walnut... I played it for like 12 years, man. It's it's really good. And and this one here, I got it as an endorsement, let's see, in February the 3rd, uh, 2004. So I had it on the stand in there, and I remembered that I got it when I was working with Doyle. Doyle said, man, that is a fine banjo. I said, I like it. So I started playing it, and then I got the... the during endorsement and I I've just started getting the uh it's gold. It's it it's gold plated but it's not gold plated. They're they're really stepping out and, and getting into more metal things on banjos, hmm. you know. Like they can take and put let's see what they, what they do, they bake it in an oven at a certain degrees for so long, and it'll turn this as gold. And Janet said that would be, the, she said for the next hundred years, it's going to look just like it. And it looked brand new, you know. So if you over that way. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to go check it out for sure. Yeah. So you said it's gold plated, but not. Does that mean it's like kind of a, like an aged it's gold a, look or is yeah, it yeah it's sort of aged look okay. it's not real real bright you know? yeah it's, no that's cool yeah. yeah it's gonna be very nice yeah and you know the more you play one and carry it around in different temperatures and everything then it you start you know it really starts sounding good you know because yeah. the metal is getting lighter and the wood's getting lighter you know mm-hmm. metal not as much as the wood but the wood like that walnut you know and that's a harder wood than mahogany but now you can pick it up and say man that, and then pick this up and it's a little bit of difference <laughs> what, what are you playing what banjo i have a sullivan it's 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 in that bag i can i can show it to you when we're when we're done it's a mahogany sullivan banjo yeah that's oh, cool yeah I've, I've got a sullivan 
I like it too. It's a good. Yeah, I've been really happy with it. Yeah. Man, they're good makers, you know. And at one time, Eric was make, doing all the necks for Gibson, you know. Right. Which and, is cool, man, because he is the man on the necks, you right. know. And that's what he's doing, for yeah. sure. I, I love the neck on mine, and it's it's always sounded really good. Yeah, that's, that's good to have one you really like to play. You know? Yeah, yeah. So then, coming back to this one you have, I think you told us about the, the Deering, but is, is this the one you actually play more in, at this point? This, well, I, uh, this Gibson? I had put uh, a new set of keys, Deering keys on it, and somehow it got a little bit crooked or something. It didn't fit just right. Hmm. And uh, I said, I can't use this. And, you know, and then about that time, she said, we, we almost got your other one done, the mahogany. So we kind of put... The one of the walnut one okay. just kind of laid it back and said, we'll get back to this. So you're sort of just waiting for that other one to, right, yeah. to be ready. And then, then I do want to play the gold-looking one because uh-huh. I've never really had a gold one. You know, I, I had a friend that had an old Granada that I used to play some, you know, but the oh, neck cool. were really, really big. Uh-huh. So that made me not like it because I don't like a real big neck, man. Okay. It's hard to get around on it, you know. Sure. It doubles your chances of failing. <laughs> <laughs> Is I mean, part of what I admire about your playing, maybe maybe you could talk about if maybe the size of the neck affects this is uh your pull-offs and getting those really yeah and uh, precise. It, yeah, your action up here needs pull-offs. You need it, you know, a little bit lower, you know. And mm-hmm. and uh, one thing I do uh, miss here is these are just regular frets, but. Uh, both of the deerings are uh, it's got stainless frets. Oh, sure. So you can get a really, you know. So you can you can jump on it like that, but it, it would be more crisp and sound better if it was stainless. Hmm. Stainless is good stuff. I mean, a lot of people choose stainless because they don't wear out. You they think, don't. You think I mean, they sound different too, even when. I think it gives you a little bit cleaner cut, hmm. a little bit cleaner, you know. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you look for things that makes your banjo sound clean, and and that would be one of the first things I would do if your banjo is a little bit sleepy sounding, you know. Uh-huh. You know why that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it just doesn't sound right, yeah. Yeah, so you can just get a better pull-off. That's you know, great. And, and most of the time, if I'm I am doing some, kind of pull down on that. Uh-huh. Pull off in G is harder to pull off <laughs> than the one in A. Then up higher, yeah. Yeah. So you you mentioned that you want to do anything you can to make your banjo sound cleaner, um, and the frets was one way to do that. Are there any other measures that you've taken with your banjos to try to get that cleaner sound? Most of, of what I would say would be, you know, practice your pull-offs in G, because if you can get them in G, you can get them anywhere. You know, A or, or B is perfect perfect anyway, you know. But, yeah, the stainless fret, and, and you don't want your action too high up here. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll be fighting it, you know. And a thing that I've just changed, I was playing 11, 11, 13, 20. Now I'm playing 10, 11, 12. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that, uh, you have to have really strong hands if you're going to do pull-offs, you know, 
and do it in G. I mean, with that heavier string, yeah. especially. Yeah. So you know, just get your banjo and go to your a good luthier and say, "I need this action where I can play it." Uh -huh. You know, and that first thing, let's what do you suggest? You know, do you find that? your preferred action tends to be lower than like other players that you've come across? It's maybe a little bit lower now than it was a few years ago. Even you know. yourself? Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. Got it. It's, it's hard to get them like you want them, you know. You about have yeah. to sit down with somebody that really knows how how to do it and then sit there and play a little bit yeah. and keep messing around until you say, yeah, it's getting close now. And I think also an important thing is once you find somebody who knows how to set it up how you yeah. want, like... Yeah, it's hard to keep, find, too. Yeah, yeah, latch onto them and don't yeah, keep track of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, how about... You, you know how banjo players get about wanting, wanting to know what picks you use and bridge and, yeah. and head and everything. Why don't you take us through that and tell us what All you right. use? I'm using... Uh, they're not pre-USA nationals, but they are. I'm not sure if it's mid-60s, 50s, 60s, something like that. But some, Yeah, some old national picks? Yeah, they're old national. They okay. got USA on them, but I can't tell the difference, really. I know yeah. Dean Hoffmeyer has that website where if you, now, if you really wanted to know what they were, yeah, yeah, they, yeah he, but, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's don't he's know got it. He's got yeah. that down, man. Yeah. And I've for years used a blue chip thumb pick. Mm -hmm. I mean, man, you can play on that. I mean, first one I had, I think I played it for like seven years. Wow. And it was still good, except it was just getting short right there. A yeah, little it gets bit. a little so flattened I, off. I've been using yeah. this one, man. It's it's, it's Cadillac. But you got man. a lot of miles on it, yeah. Yeah, I do. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm getting to the point now, though, this one, I always see how it's wearing off on the top. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to find one that's been used about this much <laughs> and really clean it up and get them compatible, you know. Oh, man. I swear, I keep hitting that. All right, well, uh, is there anything else you wanted to tell everyone about your playing style or that, that I forget to did I forget to ask you anything that you think is important to, to how you play the banjo yeah I, I would think uh, if you can find a man to do it the stainless frets would be one of the biggest things yeah. it just feels so good to, you know those and the, the more shiny and better these look is the more nickel in them in a mm. nickel Spill, and then you know, get it where you can tune your banjo, and you don't have any trouble. And then just just sit down and play, and work on whatever you want to. Mm -hmm. You know, just be sure it's right. You know, listen to listen to Crow, and he's killer. Yeah, Scruggs, I love them. You know, all of them. Yeah, and we had them. Yeah, that's never a bad idea. Is oh, I know, man. Guys. And then then uh, Bill Emerson and. John Hickman and Sonny Osborne and oh, it just goes on and that's all in this year, man. Yeah. That's sad. Really, really sad. But a good thing that we got a lot of recordings off still all have of their, them. Yeah. We still have their music. Yeah. So, so that's, that'll, that's nice. that'll live on for a long time. It sure will. Long time. Well, tell everybody how to, you know, you're, you're still performing and putting out recordings so tell everyone how to find you like on a website 
Yeah, you can get me terrybalkum.com. All right. And my wife, uh, Cindy, is kneedeepinbluegrass.com. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she did get you one, right? Uh, the, new, the new project we just had? No, she hasn't. Uh, okay, I'll correct that then. <laughs> she was in a hurry when she was down here earlier. So. Oh, that's all right. Well, well, she's right behind you, so don't don't say too much about her. Oh, she is. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk to her in a minute. No, I, I would, I would love one. Thank you so oh, much. Oh yeah, that'd yeah. Be, we'll fix you right up, no doubt. All right. Well, Terry, it was a real honor to speak with you. I really appreciate you I appreciate taking the time, especially because I I have a clue of how much effort it took to <laughs> for you to wake up and get out of bed and drag yourself down here. Because uh, I would, I, I could have used a few extra hours myself. I'm good too, but. Yeah. Uh, Hey, it's worth it. I enjoy talking banjos, and it seems like more of a comfort zone. If I don't even play, but this it feels natural. I think so too. Yeah, a little <laughs> security blanket happening. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, man, good All luck right. with your adventures here and everything. Yeah, same to you. I'll enjoy look, the rest of your weekend. Uh, you too, man. I'll look forward to seeing you again. Absolutely. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. The song clips you heard in this one were Prisoner of the Past by Lou Reed, Terry Balcom, and Carolina, The Fiddler by Charlie Moore, Dixieland by Boone Creek, Yellow River by Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver, Erase the Miles by Third Time Out, Cattle in the Corn by Joe Green, and Long Enough to Make Me Blue by Terry Balcom. Thank you once again to this episode's longtime and newly upgraded supporters. That's Brent Davis and Joshua Agkison. Head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become a supporter yourself or to also get that meeting link for tomorrow's open to everyone VIP lounge. So that's uh, December 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. I hope to see you all there. And if not, I'll just uh, see you for the next episode. Take care, everyone. close enough, isn't it? <laughs>